Friends, you may be seated. So I wasn't here last weekend. Uh, last weekend, I was at a wedding in Boston. And during the ceremony, the minister spoke a great deal about love and commitment, as you would imagine that he would. Um, he also talked directly to the couple about forgiveness. And he told them to forgive one another when they inevitably let each other down. And I appreciated his saying that, not only because it's true that they will inevitably sin against each other, but because forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel. If we are to love one another the way that our Lord Jesus has loved us, then that will necessarily mean forgiving one another. How else are we human beings who are prone to sin ever remain in relationship, be it in marriage, in our families, in our friendships, in the workplace, and in the church, especially in the church, where we are constantly reminded of our own great need for God's mercy and love. But forgiving other people has never been an easy task. In today's gospel from Matthew chapter 18, we find Peter asking Jesus, how many times must I forgive my brother? As many as seven times? Clearly, Peter felt like seven was a generous number. But Jesus answered Peter by saying, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. Or some translations say, 70 times seven times. Well, whether Jesus said 77 or 70 times seven is less important than the meaning behind it. In the Bible, the number seven represents fullness and perfection. So 77 or 70 times seven would be perfect. It would be forgiving an infinite number of times. Jesus was telling Peter, you should continually forgive with the intent of doing so again and again and again. And then Jesus told a story, suggesting that the kingdom of heaven could be compared with a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. Now, just a note, slavery in the Roman Empire could be cruel and inhumane, but it was not the same as the slavery we're familiar with learning about in the North American context. In the North American context, this parable wouldn't make any sense. But in the Roman system, some slaves were more like indentured servants who would eventually gain their freedom. There were slaves who could earn money. There were slaves who owned other slaves. And there were slaves who were able to make purchases on credit, which meant they could go into debt. So with that being said, in the parable Jesus told, the king opened up his accounting records, and lo and behold, he had one slave that owed him more 
than $5 billion. I know that sounds like a ridiculous amount, because it is. But if we use Ontario's minimum wage as a basis for finding our modern-day equivalencies to the New Testament figures, that's how much the man would owe, $5 billion. Needless to say, $5 billion is not something to sneeze at, not for a nation state and certainly not for an individual. No one with any kind of concern for finances could let a sum like that go. And so the king ordered that the man be sold, together with his wife, his children, all his possessions. It still wouldn't be enough to make up for the great debt, but it would be something. The man, out of desperation, fell on his knees and begged, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. There was no way this man could ever pay off this debt. But that lie was the best negotiation tactic he had left. And so out of pity, the king forgave the debt. The king knew the man couldn't repay the debt. He forgave the debt and he released him. Now that outcome would have shocked the original listeners. Who could ever forgive a debt that large? It would be nearly impossible and it would cost the person forgiving it almost everything. And what a reversal of fortunes for the man who owed all that money. His life was practically over. And then suddenly he receives this great mercy. It was like he had been on death row and received clemency at the last hour. What kind of elation would this man feel having such a great weight lifted from him? And then all of a sudden, this parable of tremendous grace takes a dark After being freed of millions of dollars in debt, this same man comes upon a fellow who owed him about $9,000, again in today's money. Now, $9,000, that's not nothing, but compared to $5 million, it's a laughable amount. For one thing, it's an amount that could actually be paid back. But amazingly, he grabbed the throat of the man who owed him the money and say, pay what you owe. The man indebted to him pleaded with him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he was actually telling the truth. But he refused to show him any mercy and threw him in prison until his debt could be paid. And so as the story unfolds, we see the unforgiving man fall under harsh judgment because other slaves saw what happened and they told the king. And the king summoned the man and said, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And then in his anger, he handed him over to be tortured until he could pay his entire debt, which of course 
was never. Now, just in case Jesus's disciples were not following the parable, they weren't quite connecting the dots, Jesus adds, so my heavenly father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Now, I think we know what Jesus was trying to convey here. How could someone who had such a tremendous debt that had been forgiven treat someone who owed barely a fraction of that with such contempt and lack of compassion? What was wrong with this guy? Or more to the point, what is wrong with us? Apart from Jesus, we are all morally bankrupt. We have sinned in thought, in word, in deed. We've rebelled against our maker. We've hurt ourselves. We've hurt the people around us. We've sinned against the author of life. And the Bible tells us the wages of sin are death. We have no more ability to make things right than the man who owed billions of dollars to the king. Only a miracle of mercy can save us from separation from God, from despair and eternal death and destruction. And by God's grace, a miracle of mercy is exactly what we've been given. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, came from heaven, walked among us, lived a holy and righteous life, a life none of us have lived, and then took our sins upon himself and became an atoning sacrifice for us with his life. He put our sins, our sinfulness, he nailed it to the cross. He put it to death on the cross. And then he invited us into his resurrection life. Through the Holy Spirit, we can become sons and daughters of the living God, inheritors of the kingdom. By Jesus' sacrifice, we're not on death row anymore. We're not locked in a debtor's prison. We are free to live as citizens in the kingdom of God with all rights and privileges. And so, what do we do? Do we follow Jesus's command to love others as he has loved us, which includes forgiving them? We haven't been given this great gift so we can be stubborn and bitter, keeping accounts, keeping resentments against others. We have received mercy and grace so that we can live the abundant life, a life that no longer concerns itself with keeping track of infractions against us, but rather overflows with mercy and grace and love. Now, this is not in any way to downplay the real impact of sin 
other people's sin on us and our lives. Some of us have experienced great, great pain, injury, loss, grief from the sins of others. Forgiveness does not mean we are winking at sin or pretending that what is evil is okay. In fact, we have to grapple with how someone has sinned against us and how that has affected us for us to truly forgive someone. We cannot forgive what we cannot acknowledge actually happened to us. And given the damage that sin causes us, the fact that we can forgive is a miracle in and of itself. I don't know if you've experienced that miracle, but God allows us to forgive when we, in and of ourselves, cannot do the forgiving ourselves. What we must do is to be willing to be willing to forgive. And when that willingness isn't there, to be willing to pray to be willing to forgive. And as we grow in our ability to forgive, we can receive freedom from anger, from resentment, and from bitterness. Now, in some cases, relationship with the person or people who have hurt us may not be possible, especially if they may harm us again. When Jesus returned to his hometown of Nazareth and preached there, they tried to throw him off a cliff. We don't see him returning to that synagogue again and again to see what they would do. We can forgive people without putting them ourselves in harm's way. But let's face it, friends, these are the extreme cases. In most cases, we can work through the grudges and hurts that were likely caused by misunderstandings or someone being insensitive rather than someone truly trying to harm us. Michael Green, in his commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, writes that resentment is something we have to repent for because it blocks us from receiving and enjoying the forgiveness we long for. Green writes, God puts his precious gift of forgiveness in our hands, but only if we open them up to him, not clenching in anger against our brethren. To become people of the gospel, we must accept our status as forgiven sinners. And as forgiven sinners, we have no business standing in judgment of other sinners, even when they sin against us. Instead, we are called to pray for them, as we're called to pray for and love our enemies, that the Lord will turn their hearts, bless them, and not hold their sin against them, just as we do not want the Lord to hold our sin against us. 
We can only do this by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, refreshing us, healing us, transforming us into people of gratitude, mercy, and love. So I want to leave you today with an image of a different forgiven sinner. One we find in the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Luke. There we find a simple woman who washed Jesus's feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair as he reclined at the table at a Pharisee's home. While the host and the guests were shocked, scandalized by this woman's behavior, Jesus defended her, saying, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Both the woman at Jesus' feet and the man in the parable needed forgiveness for things that they could not repay, that they could not make up for. The man in the parable was freed from his debt, but without any internal change. Despite the mercy shown him, he acted as one who had received no mercy. In refusing to forgive his fellow man, he was, in essence, refusing the gift that he had been given. And so eventually, no mercy was shown him. The woman at Jesus' feet, however, received his forgiveness with love and gratitude. She was a changed person. This is what forgiven sinners are supposed to look like, are supposed to act like, humbled and filled with love to the point that it shocks other people. May we be such people of shocking gratitude, humility, forgiveness, and love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.